Just a reminder, everyone, the topics covered in this podcast are general in nature. They haven't taken into account your personal circumstances, and it's important to seek personal financial advice if you want to address any of the subject matter. Happy New Financial Year. Welcome to The Money Men. I'm Luke Stiles, and today I'm going solo. It's the 1st of July, 2021. Uh, Steve is my other fellow money man, is on annual leave, so I've got big shoes to fill. Today, pretty packed. Now, hopefully I don't, uh, I can keep the listenership entertained today, and I'm, I'm hoping I can. Fortnight in review, as we do usually. Uh, where do we stand? Australian market down 1.1% over the fortnight. US is up about 1.8%. So that's the S&P 500 for the US and the ASX 300 for the Australian market. You know, we always cover it. What, is it, what does it necessarily mean at the moment? Not an awful lot, um, but it's just good to, you know, have some detail around the markets and, and, and what they're actually doing. So um, lots happening. You know, COVID seems to have reared its ugly head once again. The conversation um, around the economic impacts are also, uh, you know, in the headlines. I had to have a chuckle to myself, not going to name the newspaper, but another article um, citing economists um, in a national newspaper suggesting that the next 12 months are going to be tumultuous uh, because of this lockdown that, that, you know, that's currently happening. And I just thought of thought, well, you know, they were saying this 12 months ago and they're also, you know, ANZ economists were saying that house house prices 12 months ago are going to, you know, decline in double-digit figures. Um, you know, it seems to me that the, well, it's very obvious the opposite has in fact occurred. So how often do these economists actually get it right? I think you've got to ask yourself that question and is there... Uh, well-meaning guidance and advice that they write about actually that accurate? I'll leave you to answer that question. I probably won't weigh in anymore. I'm sure you're probably probably feeling and can recognise my view on that subject. So talking about house prices today, just wanted to build on that and, and discuss some of the strategies that people are looking at these days in terms of when there's a build-up of equity because the price is increasing. Um, and a lot of people are considering, well, not a lot of people, some people are considering whether they drive that to actually consolidate some of their personal debt. So just talk about that um, and how it's a double-edged sword. Really interesting, really interesting article uh, that I saw in, the, in a morning um, breakfast television. Now, I've seen the article before, but they rehashed on it is the value of advice or financial advice quantified. Now, what what that actually means, um, and, I'll, and I'll talk to those subjects as well. Re- really interesting one that I've written about before, or we've written about before, is investing a dollar 120 years ago into the, stra- the Australian share market and what it would be worth 120 years later. So investing that dollar, um, you know, letting it do its time in the market, the compounding return, and what what would it actually be worth today? So I always like talking about those subjects. Um, so as we know, 
house prices are increasing, contrary to the economists' uh, guidance 12 months ago who would suggest that they're going to decrease uh, in double-digit figures. Now, equity is the difference between the value of the property or the price of the, pro- the value of the property and the debt levels held. Um, and if you're within certain parameters of what lenders like, um, they will let you borrow that equity back. Many of us have probably done that. They might have done it for you know debt consolidation, some renovations or investing purposes. So I think I think many homeowners, this is an assumption, you know, I think some a lot of homeowners out there are probably aware um, of of what equity is and how how it can possibly be used. Now, a really important thing to consider in light of equity increasing because prices have been increasing for homeowners is what you use that increased equity for. We've often we've come across not often we've come across situations where people may seek the option or opportunity to refinance and consolidate personal debts into a lower interest rate. And, and, you know, simplistically, if you think about it, you've got car loans, personal loans, credit cards, debts that exist. Um, They might be, you know, charging an interest rate ranging anywhere from, you know, 6% to 20% on the credit card front. So it makes a lot of financial sense if you can consolidate and push those liabilities into a lower interest rate being a home loan in a lot of instances. So, you know, it might fall anywhere between, you know, the 1% for some, the fixed rates, and, you know, maybe 3% for the higher end of the variable. So it really makes sense to exercise that consolidation piece. However, what a lot of people miss in this equation is that if I've got a, for example, seven-year car loan worth 30 grand or owing me 30 grand, costing me 6% per annum, um, and I've got five years remaining on the term of the loan, it's it's really important to understand that if I refinance that into the home, so I've actually borrowed against that, you know, I've, I've refinanced and I've paid out the personal loan with equity in the home loan, and then I've now got a 30 grand increase on my home loan, that 30 grand is going to be amortized over a 30 year period. So effectively the 30 year home loan period. So You've got to remember, although the interest rate is lower on the home loan, it's over a longer period of time. So that interest rate, even though it's lower, will begin to work against you. And in effect, the cost of the loan by refinancing, even though it's going to give you this short-term cash flow boost and also, you know, on the face value, a lower interest rate on the cost of that debt, you're actually going to pay a lot more um, on that loan over the term because the compounding effect of the interest rate over the 30-year period. Now, uh, it, it, it can be a difficult concept to understand and, and I, I we've, again, we've wrote a blog on it um, in the past. I'm, I'm going to include some show notes to it just so I can talk about the details and uh, it can talk about the details a bit better. But in effect, and this is very broadly and it's all relative because interest rates, you know, a couple of years ago were a little bit higher for for home loans and they're a little bit higher for your personal debt and it's all sort of come down and it's all relative to each other. But you're looking at anywhere between, 
if you if you decide to refinance and actually go down the route of consolidating personal debts like a car loan that may cost 2% per, per annum more than your home loan, if you don't actually focus in and start repaying that debt within the same time frame of the personal loan, you're looking at actually increasing the total costs of that loan by 30 or 40%. So the interest compounding over those years is just working against you. So it's a really, really important piece to be aware of. Um, and you know, when, when you're just focusing on using some of your equity to consolidate some of your debts, it's a double-edged sword. You'll get the uplift and benefit of the lower interest rate today, you'll get the lower impact on your cash flow because the loan in effect is then um, spread out over 30 years as opposed to a shorter period, which I pointed out before. So the cost of that per week is going to be a lot lower. feels good, gives you the warm and fuzzies, um, but at the end of it, it's actually a significantly worse decision or financially, you know, it's going to financially impact you um, by going down that route couple of things to be aware of aware of um, if you choose to go down that route you've got to look at it and make sure that any savings you're obtaining are at least pushed into that 30 that, that new increased debt so you know if you refinance your home loan of 500 grand and you finance a personal loan into it as well so you end up with a five hundred and thirty thousand dollar loan you've got to make sure that you capture that 30 grand and pay it off within the remaining time period that the personal loan was so if there's five years left on it you've got to make sure that you divide that you know you know you're making extra repayments to effectively pay that 30 grand off a bit more quickly otherwise you're going to have the interest work against you over the longer period period of time um it's actually a lot more complex to ascertain what that number needs to be than you think on face value so what are those extra repayments you need to be making each week to negate the impact of having you know an additional 30 grand against your home loan over 30 years so just before you consolidate debt tread with caution make sure you seek advice around it um, because because there's a few pieces of that puzzle to get right um, so yeah just just wanted to talk about that and and you know more or less have a word of warning for you know people out there choosing to go down that avenue in light of the increase in house prices that we've seen um now interesting one and i'm going to move on because i'm probably boring everyone and confusing confusing you by now the value of advice was quantified late last year by an investment manager um, russell investments quite a large fund management organisation, so international uh, funds management organisation. I saw on the news this week, or earlier this week, the value of, of advice was quantified to an actual, um, you know, percentage, you know, percentage return. So if I'm going to seek advice or personal financial advice, what is the value of that to me? And it... <laughs> You know, it, it makes sense um, to, to ensure that there's some value there because if you're going to pay for something, you want to make sure that you're going to get return on that investment, which might be a fee you pay for advice. So the, the, the value level that was quantified, it was 5.2% per annum. So w- what does that mean? Well, it means if you're an investor with $100,000, 
and you get advice on that $100,000 or seek some form of advice around that hundred grand, you should expect to get an elevated return over and above whatever the normal investment returns of 5.2% per annum. That, that's the way I've understood the article and, and you know how, how it's been written and where the value of advice is. Now, it's no surprise... When when we ask what what are what actually are those drivers to you know quantify and actually get that value of advice? Well, the, the key one for investors out there is behavioural mistakes. So, if if you're a new investor, you don't understand share markets, for example, um, and you know a lot of people out there aren't necessarily understanding share markets in depth. It's very easy to read a news article, um, jump onto a company report or read a company statement and think and, and, and form a, an opinion on what that company might do with regard to the share price. So not the company itself driving the share price, but what that news may actually do to the share price. Will it result in the share price increasing or will it result in the share price decreasing because it's going to have some type of negative impact on, on the company? So... By seeking advice, you usually get a second second set of eyes. So you've got that second set of eyes on there that helps you um, remain fairly objective against your investments and doesn't let you make decisions that may otherwise cost you money in the future. So, you know, classic one is markets crashing, um, investor, you know, j- John and Jane Smith uh, exit the market or, or, or put their investments to cash because they're concerned that, you know, if the market continues to go down, they're going to physically lose money. Um, it's often, you know, the role of the advisor to educate them around that and say, well, you know, let's look at it realistically. And I've used this example a million times over and pro- probably too many times over, is the Commonwealth Bank share. If I've got one Commonwealth Bank share, you know, and it's value- valued at $100 and the market goes down by, you know, 50% or CBA goes down by 50% in terms of the price, well, how many Commonwealth Bank shares do I have? I've still got one. So it's about sort of changing that mindset um, and helping, you know, investors through those you know, those external events that are really going to shape their behaviour to investing. So fixing that up, you know, has been a key point, you know, in the value of advice proposition. So it's probably more or less um, preventing mistakes that are going to, you know, degrade the investment over time. A couple of other ones that are, you know, are interesting and worth touching on. Reducing tax. So, you know, approaching advice, probably usually going to make sure that you know, your tax positions are going to be um, taken advantage of. So that could be things like superannuation and making sure that they're, you know, they're being utilised to the maximum rate. Um, Risk profiling and rebalancing, it's, you know, very much a financial planning term, so I'll probably just skip (laughs) skip over it, to be honest. Um, And planning and ongoing guidance. So, you know, that probably rolls back into, you know, the behavioural piece, doesn't it? Because... If you've got ongoing guidance, you, you, you hope that that's being layered and levelled with education. The more education you get, um, you know, the less likely you are going to react to external events that, you know, an uninformed investor might and, you know, undo all the good work in a portfolio. So, you know, just thought that was an interesting piece on there. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
roll the value of advice proposition, that 5.2% um, annualised rate of return, into an example um, in the second half. We're going to go to a quick ad break, um, and I'll we'll be back in a minute. Bye. At Steve May Financial Services, we know how daunting the idea of seeing a financial planner can be. Bearing your financial soul to a person you don't even know doesn't sound like fun, does it? That's why we believe in being approachable and being ourselves. Our mission is to provide uncomplicated, affordable and personalised financial advice to those who normally wouldn't get it. Contact us for a friendly, no-pressure consultation to get your financial stuff sorted. Steve May Financial Services www.stevemayfs.com.au Welcome back to the second half of The Money Men. I'm Luke, as you already know. Um, I'm not joined by Steve today, as you already know. A um, little bit unusual doing the solo podcast, but hoping hoping I'm getting through um, and getting things covered off. So at the start of the show, I spoke about what the return would be on investing a dollar 120 years ago into the Australian share market and what would it be worth today? So, you know, a dollar invested 120 years ago, so start of the century, turn of the century, whatever you want to call it. Um, And, you know, where does that take us? So it's not worth $117. It's not worth $117,000. That dollar invested 120 years ago is worth $650,000, so 650152 that is an astounding return so just think about those numbers for a moment 650 grand on a dollar invested the, the the you know that is i still i still scratch my head sometimes and go that is that is amazing now that's invested into the australian share market at an annual rate of return at 11.8%. So according to some studies done by marketindex.com, that's the that's been the annual annualized rate of return on the Australian share market. And that includes all the ups and downs, that's the, you know, great depression, that's the 1970s oil crisis, that's the dot com bust, that's the global financial crisis. That even includes the downturn off the back of the covid pandemic. So pretty interesting. And it's to 120 years ago. So the chart that will come out at the end of this year or beginning of next year um, to show 121 years will be very interesting because, as we all know, um, markets have been very buoyant uh, domestically and internationally. But anyway, moving on, the return in that 11.8% is largely driven by the dividends. So there's a key assumption here that the dividends have been reinvested over that 120-year period. So there's been a fair bit of, there's been some studies conducted around what the value of the dividend is 
and you know what it translates to in the into into the value of actually the investment. So, broadly speaking, we know over a thirty-five year period, dividends can be worth up to eighty percent of the invested return. So, if we carry that assumption over the one hundred and twenty-year period, which isn't unreasonable, we can ascertain that the dividends being reinvested over that period are worth $520,000 or 80% of the return of the investment. So 20% of your return is in the price increases in the shares or the underlying baskets of shares. It's very interesting that the focus for a lot of investors out there, professional and amateur, is in the price. What's the price of the share doing? That's often, you know, the commentary. Where are they up? Are they down? When, in reality, the price movements of the shares are only accounting for up to twenty percent of the return you're achieving as an investor. So, you know, pretty, you know, pretty powerful stuff there. To you know, consider and actually attribute to what's what's giving you that return. So a key assumption in that 11.8% per annum over 120 years is there's no fees or holding costs. Now, what happens if we actually overlay some fees and holding costs into that assumption, which is real because, you know, us as investors out there, superannuation investors, um, non-super investors, pay fees, potentially pay fees or too many fees to fund managers, Um and, and what does that actually translate into your return? Uh, what, what, is it, what does it potentially do to your dollar invested over 120 years if you overlay some fees? So quick example, um, just, just using 1.1%. So that could be a combination of your product fee, so your superannuation account fee, and also the management fee charged by the super fund manager within the investment. So that 1.1 is is actually a very realistic example of what you'd probably see out there in the market. You know, that that's that's not an unreasonable assumption. So if we overlay the 1.1 into the 11.8 or deduct it more importantly from 11.8, we've got an annual rate of return of 10.7. So what does that do? Well, that initial investment of 120 over 120 years goes from 650 to $198,000. It's a 450 grand, almost a 450 grand reduction by overlaying a 1.1% fee. Incredible. So be very, very conscious of what your fees are. And, you know, very important to be aware of what you're actually paying there. So I thought it'd be interesting to then, you know, pose the question. What happens if we bring the benefit, the quantifiable benefit of advice back into, you know, that invested return? So simplistically, simplistically, a dollar invested, Gets eleven, you know, has shown market market statistics have shown that you can achieve eleven point eight percent before fees and costs per annum over that one hundred and twenty year period. If we overlay and assume that you know this investor who put a dollar in one hundred and twenty years ago is getting the benefit of 
quantifiable advice, which earlier was stated to be the equivalent to 5.2%. So that's stating that, you know, the benefit of getting advice is going to actually add additional return to you. So I'm going to add those two numbers together. So 11.8 and 5.2, because this person's getting advice over that 120 year period, they've got a, um, they're, they're living a good life, living their best life. So total return with those two amounts combined is 17% per annum. So we just put 17% in on a dollar over 120 years. No other additional investments, um, it's just that original dollar. And the key assumption is the dividends are reinvested in the back end. Now, the figure we get is $152 million. Now, that's not a mistake, $152 million if we assume that the person can get 17 point, um, 17% per annum. Now, I'm... I am going to come back to that value of advice proposition where they state that it could be worth 5.2%. I personally think that that level is overstated. Um, You know, as you can see, the numbers almost border on being inconceivable. Um, A dollar into 152 million, yeah, possible, but, you know, not probable so you know i don't i don't want anyone to think that you know hey if i get advice and invest a dollar i can convert it into 152 million dollars in in 120 years i mean obviously you've got to live to 120 um you know to get the benefit there or longer depending on when you start investing but i think i think the the value of advice is is potentially overstated in that 5.2 percent i just i just can't see um, you know how these numbers really actually come together. However, there's no doubt that there is a percentage return in the value of advice, and it's going to definitely have the benefit of supercharging your investments over, you know, over a working career or over a long term period. Because, you know, when I talk long term, I, I talk twenty plus years. Um, so, you know, um, someone retiring might go. That's a long time for me, but realistically, you're probably going to have 30 years in retirement um, from you know 60 to 90 today. Um, and if you're a younger investor, just work backwards from there, and then you've got plenty of time to consider yourself as a long-term investor. So, you know, realistically, a lot of us are long-term investors, um, even though you know we don't necessarily think we are. So, just wanted to articulate those numbers a bit bit more, and just know what the benefit is of potentially investing. Uh, that that's really the key here. There's been a lot of information written on the benefits of dividends. So reiterating that you know a significant chunk of your return of investing into share markets or equity markets is going to be driven by the dividends received and also the dividends reinvested. So that that's really where you're going to see the push and return on your investments. Don't get focused on the prices, the price movements. They can, you know, they they just don't show the full picture, and it's unfortunate because, you know, as we know, the media, um, financial media in particular, don't accurately report on dividends. In my, you know, in my opinion, I I think that, you know, it gets often skipped over. It's it's very much price orientated. So when you know um, when, when you hear the market update on the news in the evening, 
they're always talking about the price index. When they talk about the ASX 300 or the ASX 200 or the All Ordinaries, they're only ever referring to the price indices, so what the price movements were. And as you can see, the price movements can go all over the place, but the real picture and the real power and pull is the dividends. So, hey, is it by chance that they don't mention them? Um, I don't think so. I think it's probably so. There's more of a story to capture because prices can be very volatile, and you know it's it's good to report. You know, bad news makes good news, as as we've spoken about in the past. Um, so you know, what, what's the, what's the key takes from this? Well, you know, keep your costs low where possible, especially where they're percentage based costs, because they'll absolutely erode your returns. And you saw that earlier. You know, you took that six fifty amount down to one ninety. Um, you know, almost a 450 grand reduction by a 1.1% fee being overlaid, um, investment management fee or and or you know product fee. So, really key to you know contain and control costs, um, and where possible, fixed costs are a real advantage there because if they're fixed, um, you know they get they're not going to have that same drag that percentage based fees you know typ- typically have. Um, As demonstrated, good advice is always going to materialise and pay for itself many times over. So <laughs> the the example, you know, the $152 million because we've added in the benefits of quantifiable advice at 5.2%, um, <laughs> don't think it's going to be that beneficial, but I definitely think that it's going to make a significant difference to your position and and absolutely pay for itself like that that's kind of the key there to be silly not to um you know engage on that level to let it pay for itself but but the benefit might not materialize for many years later and that and that's really a hard thing to grapple because a lot of us you know um we want instant gratification and if we can't relate you know an instant gratification of something you know we pay for something we receive something um we we can kind of detach from it from it if it's not a material advantage to us straight away so you know that's a very typical challenge of of advice um and and allowing that cost benefit analysis to materialize it's it's a long-term it's a long-term benefit is what i'm saying there um Good advice, that's an operable word, so always making sure that it's good. Um, easier said than done. What do I suggest to ensure that it's good? Well, don't listen to Facebook or the new term influencers, so um, financial influencers on the likes of Instagram and TikTok. You've got to be pretty concerned um, with what's going on and some of the things that, being, that are being um, you know, espoused on you know tiktok and and some of those instagram uh you know financial influencer pages not that i have tiktok or or instagram but i've heard and seen examples of where they are pretty dicey more on the facebook front i certainly see people spruiking solutions to your uh, financial problems at no cost to you so you know if there's no cost to you directly uh, what's the indirect cost and you know if people are concerned to elaborate on what the indirect cost is it's probably because they're not confident to tell you exactly what it is hence it you know trying to be hidden so you know no one does anything for free so that's kind of an obvious rule there um 
another one, people proposing guaranteed rates of return. So, you know, you can achieve X amount percent on your investment per annum. Um, steer clear. Uh, rates of return that are guaranteed are, v- are virtually impossible on, on any a- asset class. Um, and it could be argued that rates of return guaranteed on anything is impossible because they'll always change. Um, you know, yes, you can get a term deposit and can guarantee you 1.5% over 12 months, but there's no guarantee after that 12-month period that it won't be a different rate. So just be, you know, just be really conscious of things like that um, and seeking licence advice, you know, making sure that the person that you're uh, potentially going to, uh, you know, obtain advice from is actually licensed to give it. So that's a really important factor. We've spoken about that before many times, so I'm not going to delve into that. Now, that's the wrap. I know I digressed a little bit and, you know, went on a bit of a tangent from uh, how you invest a dollar and end up with a massive rate of return or a massive figure at the end of it. Um, And then sort of what I wanted to do is show you, hey, what are the impacts of costs? Um, So if I actually... Um, you know, have some costs overlaid onto that rate of return. What does it do to deteriorate that end value? And then also, you know, showed you some of the benefits of adding some advice in there. Um, And if you could boost that return even further, then the number's crazy. Um, And as I said, I don't think think that it's 5.2% per annum, Um, but there's definitely some material value there. what the number is exactly, I haven't I haven't really delved down myself because I haven't done the report. But I'm happy to um, I'm certainly happy to share uh, their view on, on that. Um, all right, that's the wrap. Um, thanks for listening. Solo one, probably pretty boring. Um, but you know, as usual, leave a review uh, at themoneyman.com.au. Ask a question. Always can have a listener question on, uh, and we'll go from there. Okay. I'll include some links to a few of those articles that I've referenced today, a few of the blog articles that we've done previously, just in case anyone's interested in just exploring those a bit more. Thank you, and we'll see you later. Again, happy happy new financial year. Bye.